to see that. But Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says, after these things, these things are Abram has just uh, gone and uh, taken Lot back from captivity. His, his, uh, his nephew has basically been caught up um, by these four different kings, and he's being held captive, and Abraham takes a few people and gets him back and wins this incredible victory. And then the Bible says that after these things, after that happened, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. These first few verses of Genesis 15 are some of the most important verses in the entire Bible. And the focus here really, and rightly so, is the fact that our righteousness is something that we receive by faith. It's not by works. I want to talk to you about these first five verses and maybe next week or the week after we'll get into, into righteousness. But I want to talk to you today about legacy. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, I'm asking God that over these next few moments, you would speak very clearly to us. We're here today um, to meet with you, to experience you, to know you more. And God, we need you more. As dads, as moms, as families, we need you. We need the activity of the Lord in our life. We need your spirit. Your word says it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So today, God, we're asking for more of you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. We find ourselves here where Abram has just won an incredible victory, and God comes in a vision and says, hey, man, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. It's funny about this word, exceeding great reward, is that one of the meanings of the Hebrew word here is quick or swift, And I think it's ironic that it's been a few years since God has made this promise, but he still comes and he says, hey, I am your swift reward. (laughs) I'm 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 a quick God. And I'm thinking, no, no, you're not. Not according to my timetable. Um, I've never I've never thought as God as being swift concerning most things um, (laughs) in life. And, and I, think it's, I think it's an incredible thing. And, and God comes in a situation where um, Abram obviously is thrilled because he has won this victory. Um, he's thrilled because of what this victory means for his family. But he's also still in a place of discouragement because of how far it seems the promise of God is away. So in other words, there's favor on his life but he's wanting someone to share the favor with. See what I'm saying? And we find out about God that God is a generational God, so he chooses a man, Abram, with a generational mindset. 
Abram is a man that is not just thinking about himself because if he was just thinking about himself, he wouldn't care about an heir. All he would care about is all of the promises that are coming to him because God has made covenant with him. But he, he makes this statement, what good is all of this you're going to do for me? What good are these blessings if I don't even have a son to give them to? He's thinking generationally. He's thinking, what is good success without a successor? What does it matter if I, if I succeed and if I amass all of these things and I have all of this stuff and all of this favor and all of this wealth, but I have no one to give it to? It doesn't matter if I have all of this stuff and it stops with me. What about the next generation? And I love the heart of Abraham. This is why God doesn't rebuke Abraham when he says this to God. Because what Abram is saying is, I'm thinking beyond myself. I'm thinking about those that are coming after me. And God, because he sees the heart of Abram, he reminds him, hey, hey, I'm going to give you a son. A son is coming. But for now, I am your shield and I am your reward. I am the one who matters the most in your life. I know you're looking for a son, but I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. I think we've got to get to a place as fathers where God becomes our everything. He is our shield. He is not only our protector, but he is the reward that we are looking for. We're all looking for something. We're all looking for a reward. And God says, I'm your reward. I know you want this and I know you want that, but I am your reward. And then Abram says, God, I appreciate what you're saying, but what does all of this mean if I don't have anybody to share it with? What does it mean to me? What does it mean for the future? Because if you have to hold it to have it, then you're not thinking generationally. And a lot of things that we think matter, we think we have to have them in our hands to have them. But most of the stuff that really matters in life is not stuff we hold in our hands, but stuff we leave as legacy. And if I have to hold it in my hands to have it, then I'm only thinking about me. I'm not thinking generationally. And my challenge to you as dads and men and women and kids and everybody in the room, honestly, is to step back for a moment and think about your life Think about how you've been thinking about life and ask yourself the question, am I thinking about me or am I thinking generationally? And where we stand always determines what we see, doesn't it? It always determines our perspective of our life. And in this story, it's an amazing thought because here in Genesis 15, the Bible says that Abram is obviously talking to God from inside somewhere. Because when God wants Abraham to look at the stars, he says, now come outside and look at the stars. So Abram is obviously inside somewhere. Maybe he's inside of his tent and maybe he's in his tent and he's thinking about his life and he's thinking about where he, at, he is at in his life because we often do this with ourselves. We, we sit inside and we look at our life and we wonder, man, I'm, I'm 39, I'm 40, I'm 50. I should be further along in life. If I thought by this time in life, I would have this and have that. And we're looking at our life and we're looking at our life from, from the perspective of being inside a tent. 
And God has to say to Abraham, hey, come outside. I need you to change your perspective because you always see from the place you are standing. Your perspective is always determined by where you are standing. And here Abram is inside looking at his life, being introspective. No wonder he's seeing things the way he sees things. No wonder he is looking at the promises of God and looking at his own life and seeing things from such a small perspective. Why? Because he's inside and where he is standing has everything to do with what he is seeing. And he's saying, God, I want you to look at my situation. And God says, I want you to look at how I see your situation. And I think very often, especially as men and as fathers, we're wondering, God, do you see what I'm having to deal with? Do you see the situation? Do you see the circumstance that I'm in? Do you see my life? And God said, yeah, I absolutely see your life, but I don't want you to see your life where you see your life. I need you to come out from wherever you are, whatever is hindering your view, if it's your job or your situation or your, your, your health or your money or resource, whatever it is that's hindering your perspective, I need you to step away from that so that you can see what I see about your life. And we get so trapped in our circumstance and so trapped in our perspective that God says, I know you want me to look, but I want you to look. I want you to look and see what I see for your life. See what I see, God is saying. See what I see. When you see what I see, you'll say what I'm saying. But you can't say what I'm saying until you see what I see. An amazing thing that when God looks at Abraham, Abraham sees himself as so limited because of his situation. But God doesn't see his limitations. God sees a man that in him, the nations of the world will be blessed. <laughs> Do you know that's how God sees you? I know as a father, sometimes you feel limited because of your resources, limited because of your education, limited because of your background, limited because of what life has dealt you. But God doesn't see you that way. God doesn't see you as limited. He sees you as limitless. And he wants you to see that what I have for you is bigger than what you currently see and are surrounded by. I want you to just come out from your tent for just a moment. And I want you to look at the heavens and I want you to look at those stars and however many of those stars you can count is how much I'm going to do through you. Do you know we can't count them? We can't count them. I can't look up on a Tuesday night in a clear on a clear summer night and look at the stars and count all of the stars. And when God sees our life, that's what he sees in and through us. He sees something that is unlimited because it is not limited just to us. It goes beyond us and it impacts generation to generation to generation. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and he's our God. He's limitless and he sees you as limitless. Abram's concern is very valid and God answers with the correction of his very valid concern. 
God doesn't rebuke his concern. God answers his concern. Abram is concerned about legacy. What's my life going to look like after I'm gone? Because listen, what doesn't happen in your lifeline or lifetime will happen in your lifeline. He's a generational God. Abram is asking a question about legacy. I'm going to give you three things about legacy that I see. And I, 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 the only reason I see this is because I've had people around me um, who have shown me this. I, I didn't see this because I discovered it myself. I see this because other people have shown me this is what legacy is. Legacy is about purpose, first of all. Legacy is about purpose. And the statement I want to make with that is this. Meaning is more important than money. I think, men, we are wired to want to succeed, to want to be successful. But we live in a culture that compromises what true success looks like. And so we grow, we, we, we're we born and we grow up and we're young men and we have all of these incredible dreams, right? Five years old and we want to be, we all want to be a superhero. We, we watch the Marvel comics and we all want to be, you know, the Hulk and Captain America and we want to be these characters. And then when we're asked when we're young, what do you want to do with your life? We all want to save people. We want to be policemen. We want to be firemen. We want to, we want to help people. But then as life kind of happens, we get caught up in the compromise of our dreams because of the reality of our circumstance. And our dreams get suppressed and our circumstance causes us to live a life we were not intended to live. And so very often we have money, we have means, we are able to pay the bills. We're able to put food on the table, but we don't have meaning. And what Abram was concerned with here is meaning, not money. Money is great and money serves a purpose, but if you serve money, money will make you its slave. Meaning is more important than money. Meaning. What, what does it mean to have meaning? What does it mean to have purpose? I've actually had, over the past couple of years, I've had some incredible opportunities come up in other nations that I've said no to because of the season I'm in in my life. Because of those opportunities would make me more famous, they would give me more Instagram followers. They would give me more Twitter followers. They would increase my uh, name around the world. But would they really give me meaning? Because meaning to me is being at a ball game at 7.30 p.m. on a Monday night. Not the mission field. See, I could go to the mission field and I could do that. It wouldn't be a bad thing, but I would miss what gives me meaning. What gives me meaning 
is when I get in that car after that ball game and I tell my kid, hey, man, I know you struck out four times tonight. It was a rough one. It was a rough night, but I still love you. That's where I find meaning. For other people, they might find meaning in other places. And that doesn't make them bad or wrong. But what you have to discover is where you are having impact. And then you only give your energy to where you are having impact. Because if you give your energy to everything, everything in life, then you have no idea where you are actually having impact and you are wasting energy on things that bring you no meaning and make no impact in the lives of other people. Well, glory to God. So I asked myself, I started asking myself these questions about my life. Does this job, does this house, does this car, does this loan, does it help me fulfill my purpose? Does this preaching opportunity, does this ministry thing, does this help me fulfill my purpose? And does this bring meaning to my life? Because what we do as men is we have a tendency to grab more than we can maintain. You did it when you got married. You bit off more than you could chew and you know you did. That's what we love to do. That's why, that's why we, we, we love to, to marry a woman that is chaseable. If, if you're easy, we don't want to marry you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> if you're easy, we just want a club and a one-night stand. We don't want to, oh, is that too real, right? That's a little too, that's a little too much on Father's Day, isn't it? We want to marry the ones that are hard to get, but then after we get married, they stay hard to get. That's our problem. We bit off more than we could chew. We're always grabbing a hold of more than we can maintain. It's one of our tendencies as men. And the thing about our lives is it's not that we're looking to be busy. The thing about our lives is that we're doing so much and feel so unfulfilled. How can I be so busy and still so empty? Because we've been told by this culture and society that money is important. But money is not what's important. Meaning is what is important. What you're looking for is to matter. And maybe you're pursuing money right now thinking that will make you feel like you matter. But let me tell you something. Once you get it, you'll still feel like you don't matter. Because no amount of money can satisfy what meaning can satisfy in your life. I've met broke people that are happier than rich people. Why? Because they have meaning and purpose. Mm. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2. He said, you yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. What he was saying is that you are the proof that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Paul told Timothy, he said, prove your ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry, he said. He said, in other words, what I'm, what I'm wanting you to do is I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting you to, to build into your life some things that measure how much of an impact you are having. 
Because if you don't know how much of an impact you are having, you will, you will exhaust yourself and your resources doing stuff that doesn't matter. When I was younger, I thought, man, I'm a fr- my, my biggest fear was not being su- successful. My biggest fear was being a failure. Now, my biggest fear is succeeding at stuff that doesn't even matter. That's my greatest fear now. I, God, help me to not succeed at stuff that doesn't even matter to my life and my family, to my kids, to what you're trying to do in me from generation to generation. So he said to Timothy, he said, make full proof of your ministry. You need to know, somehow know that you are being effective and doing the right thing. See, we have a measurable that tells us when we're when we're tired, our body wears down. We get tired, we get fatigued, we get exhausted. We need to take a nap. We need to rest. Our body tells us when we are being fatigued. But if we don't measure, if we don't have a measurement for success, a measurement for what it looks like to hit the goal or to hit the mark, then we will fatigue ourselves and work ourselves to death. We need a thermostat in our life that tells us, hey, you have reached 72 degrees. You have arrived and you can stop for a little while. Even God had one. In the beginning, God is creating and he would create for, for, for a period of time. And then he would look at it and he'd say, that's good. Was he finished? No. But it was good enough for that day. Some of us need to know when we have hit the mark. And we've got to build in our life, not just measurables for how much we are putting out, but when we are meeting the mark and the way we we determine where we are meeting the mark and if we're meeting mark, how we are meeting the mark is the word of God. I can't look to the world as a standard of success. I can't look to my neighbor as a standard of success. If I do, then the rest of my life, I'll be trying to keep up with the Joneses. Because when I move into another neighborhood, somebody in that neighborhood has a better car and more bedrooms and a pool. And the next thing you know, I'm trying to get into the next neighborhood so I can get a better car and a better house and more rooms and a pool. And then when I move into that neighborhood, I got a guy who's got five cars and he's got 16 rooms and he's got a pool and a jacuzzi and, 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 and the guy's got basketball courts and tennis courts. So if I'm not careful, then I will constantly for the rest of my life measure myself by other people's success and the world's standard of success. Instead of measuring myself by what the biblical standard of success is. Matter of fact, the Bible isn't even asking us to be successful. It's asking us to be faithful. It's asking of us to be faithful. That's all God wants from us as men. Faithfulness, not success. I just want you to be faithful. If you're washing cars, be faithful. If you're working at Walmart, just be faithful. Come on, if, if you're serving in the church, just be faithful. If you're married and have a spouse, I'm just asking you to be faithful. You may not be the best husband. You may not be able to take her on vacation every year. Who cares about all of that? I just want you to be faithful. Do you know how, how rare a faithful man is today? Faithful men are more rare than successful men. We got a lot of men that can take their wives to Turks and Caicos, but not a lot of men that are being faithful to their wife on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Well, bless the Lord. It's quiet up in here. And I didn't want a lecture, but I feel like preaching. I'm here. I'm living my life to hear well done. 
So I need to know when I've done well. Wives, you have a lot to do with what we consider success. You have a lot to do with it because you, you telling us we're successful matters to us. It matters. It matters when you tell us, good job. That was good. That matters more than you'd ever know. Because we need to know we're making an impact. Legacy. Legacy is about covenant. Commitment is more important than convenience. In our world today, everything is disposable. But we serve a God of covenant, a committed God. And in God's mind, things don't, his covenant doesn't change because it's no longer convenient or because it's, it's out of style or it's tough to live it out. God made a covenant with a jacked up group of people. who at almost every turn found a way to break their end of the agreement. But God remained faithful to him. Even Abram blew it a few times. But God's covenant remained. He's a God of commitment. He's a God of covenant. Can I tell you, when what you pass down values-wise is so much more important than what you pass down money-wise, material things-wise. Can I tell you, I just want to give you just a few things you can commit to as a man, as a husband, as a person that will impact your legacy and will make a difference three, four, five, six generations from you. These things will make a difference if you commit to tell the truth. Commit to tell the truth. Commit that I am not going to lie. I'm not going to deceive. I'm not going to exaggerate because it's convenient. I will tell the truth. I will honor the truth even if the truth costs me everything. Commit to pay your debts. When I make a financial commitment, I will honor it. When I say yes, my yes means yes. When I say no, my no means no. Commit to keeping your promises. When I make a verbal commitment, I will honor it. When I say I'm going to be there, I will be there. I am tired is not an excuse for breaking a covenant promise. If you, don't want, if you don't want to be held accountable to promises, then stop making promises. Say, I, I might come, just depends on how I'm feeling that day, but don't tell me you're gonna be there if you don't know for sure you're gonna be there. If you're not there, I wanna know that you're in the hospital. That's what I, I wanna know. Commit to keep, commit this is going to change your world. Commit to be loyal to your friends. 
(laughs) David committed to his friend Jonathan. The Bible tells us when Jonathan died, David honored that commitment by taking care of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was crippled. It was inconvenient, but he did it anyway. He committed to be loyal to his friends. I've often had people who say they're my friend come to me and say to me, hey, so-and-so told me, said this about you. And my first thought to those, about those kind of people is, why did they feel comfortable to talk about me in front of you? Whew. It's quiet up in here this morning. That's my first thought. If so-and-so said that to you, first of all, why did they feel comfortable to talk to you about me? Second of all, why are you bringing it to me? Why didn't you just deal with it? All right. We just don't have loyalty anymore. I mean, why would, why, why would we? When we... When, our, when most of our relationships are fake, Facebook friends anyway, how do we even know what real committed, loyal friends look like anymore? When, when we post something wrong, they unfriend us. <laughs> when we disagree, they block us. We gotta commit to being loyal friends. Legacy is about investment. Generations are more important than gratification. There's a difference between spending and investing. I want to give you a few things to invest in. First of all, invest in anything that will outlive you. Invest in your family. Your children are your greatest disciples. I I will spend money on their music. I will spend money on their sport, I will spend money on them. I will invest and I will give and I will give. I will get them shoes for their basketball. And that to me, that's an investment. That to me isn't spending. My dad, when we were growing up, my dad always had the same pair of shoes and we always wondered why. And he said, well, I can really only afford to buy a certain amount of shoes. And so I choose to buy you shoes. I was like, but you never buy you any shoes. And now what do we all, what do we buy our dad all the time for, for presents? We get our dad's shoes all the time. Why? Because for, for a person who's concerned about the next generation, it's more important that you walk than I do. It's more important to me that you go forward than it is that I do. That's why we, that's why we get to a place in life where we, we would jump in front of a bullet. We would, we would take that bus taken and push somebody to the side. Why? Because we want them, we, we would rather them go on than us. That's what it looks like. Invest in your family. Invest in leaders. Wherever, whatever area of business you find yourself in, invest into the people that are carrying the greatest load in your company. Spend your time with them, invest in them. Don't listen to the criticism of people outside of your company. Don't listen to the people that haven't invested in your company. Invest in leaders. Spend time with people that are carrying the load with you. 
Invest in them. Invest, and I know this is very practical, but invest in property. Assets grow. And land and, and resources like that can be handed down to be used by future generations for the glory of God. This property we are on right now is an investment. It's an investment. Every time we give and every time we get closer to getting out of debt, we are, get, we are investing into a future, a debt-free future for our children and grandchildren. Aren't you, aren't you hopeful that we can hand this ministry to another generation without any debt, without, without any concern with a payment that has to be made every month? Wouldn't it be awesome if that eleven, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 a month that goes to a mortgage right now could go into more missions and more outreach? But I don't consider it a waste even now, even though we're making it more. It's not a waste. I, I feel like we are making an investment into the future. And if we are good stewards, then we will pay this off and we will hand it to another generation debt free. If we if we are bad laborers. We will hand what we have been given to another generation debt free. I mean, with more debt. If we're bad stewards and bad laborers, then we will have built nothing and still hand them debt. But we're not, we're not that way. We're a legacy-minded church. And you're a legacy-minded person. I think today, I want to end this way. I want to ask all the dads to stand back up if you would. All the fathers in the room. I want you to stand back up if you would. This is what I want to do. I want to ask every person in the room that's seated, if you would maybe turn towards, because they're in groups. If you feel comfortable enough uh, would you make your way to your dad if your dad is with you or to a dad? But if not, just stand there in your seat and let's just stretch our hands forward to these, to these men in this congregation today. This is, this is a legacy moment in the house of the Lord. This is a moment where we have decided that the future is more important than what is happening now. Now, what is happening now is a very important thing to the future. But when I live with the future in mind, in other words, or if I, when I live even with eternity in mind, then it shapes how I live my life currently. Because this is one thing I found out about purpose. If I will make, see, that's why God came to Abram. He said, I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. He said, why is he saying that? Because if you'll make me the most important priority of your life, then you won't have to chase down purpose. Purpose will chase you down. Does that make sense? So we're making a decision today as fathers to chase him, to let him be our reward and our shield. And in chasing him, meaning and purpose will find us, will chase us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just speak today a word of encouragement, life and strength over each dad represented in this room. Being a father is a very difficult job. There's so much that comes with it, so much that we weren't prepared for. Even when we, when we have the greatest dads in the world, we, we weren't prepared completely for everything that comes with being a father. Some of it you just don't understand until you've got that baby in your hands and they become a toddler and you're raising them. You just don't understand it. You, you just don't understand it. It's a great burden. It's also a great blessing. It's some of the most frustrating, but some of the most joyful moments of your life. There's so much connected to it. And so I'm asking today, God, that you would rearrange our priorities. 
that you would rearrange our focus, that you would help us even rearrange our heart posture today to one that is not just concerned about now, but one that is concerned about the future and recognizes that everything that I am doing now is preparing for the future. Everything that I am doing now is making a way or not for the future generations. And so God, today we choose to be men who will forge a path for those who are coming after us, who will blaze a trail for those who are coming after us, not so that it's easier, just so that it's clear, so that they can see better, so that they can go further. Like Nathan said this morning, help them, let them know that they can stand on our shoulders so that they can see further and go further than they've ever gone. And God, I'm asking you for these dads today that you would encourage their heart today. You would strengthen their heart today. Let them know, let them hear, let them understand that even no, no matter how discouraged they feel, man of God, you are doing better than you think you are. And your God, he is your shield and he is your exceeding great reward. And he knows the desires of your heart and he sees what your heart longs for and he is making a way. Don't give up on the promises of God. Don't give up on the hope that is in you. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on your faith. Don't walk away from these things. Legacy. It's about the next generation. It's about covenant. It's about commitment. Money is not what's important. Meaning is. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus name we pray. And everybody in the church said amen. Come on. Can we stand with these dads today and just give them one more cheer and just thank God for who they are. And we love them so much.